Welcome back to Pals with Bill Wadman, Coronavirus Edition. I had the distinct pleasure of having my friend Carrie Thibodeau up on the roof yesterday to discuss lighting design at the Metropolitan Opera, which I've been trying to get her to sit down and talk about for years now. So enjoy this one. I think it was really fun. Somebody once, somebody posted on Facebook something like, I pr- if you ask me to go anywhere after this pandemic, I will say yes. And I thought, you know what? I should just start saying yes. How, how long do you think that that will last? This the is a question yes that thing? I've had. Yeah. Like we all think, oh, I'm going to, things are going to really change. I'm going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think that it will, I think it's going to change as soon as I, I have employment. As yeah. soon as I get paid to do something again. Yeah, you have work to do. It, yeah, exactly. Then I can't, I just can't, uh, I have to pick and choose, shall we say. Yeah, I, I feel like, you know, everyone always says, oh, if I just had a few months off, I would do X. Like, yes. I would write that book or have yes. that project oh, or whatever. And I here we all are. List. Oh, but you know what? I've actually taken advantage of this time. And I have taken, I have crossed off things on my list that I didn't do for years. And I realized that they were on that to-do list for years for a reason. I had no desire to actually do them. Like what? Oh, boring stuff. Like uh, unload all that extra stuff on my Dropbox, Dropbox account. So I don't yeah. have to pay anymore. Pay for the annual thing or whatever. Get rid of a savings account with HSBC that I hated. Uh, you know, clean out your inboxes. It was just a long list of stuff like that. That's you did all totally that and boring. it didn't feel satisfying? It was very satisfying. I'm so, like, every once in a while I do a little dance because <laughs> I don't have my savings account at HSBC anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny how it is those little things, right? Like, it I've just, been going through and cataloging. When, when this all first started, I had, I had just done this gig. It was lucrative. I made some bucks, which I'm very glad about now. Yeah, right. Because it's like, okay, if I have to coast for six months rent's paid and I don't have to worry about, you know what I mean? It's like all of that stuff. Awesome. Yeah. But I was like, what am I going to do? Because, you know, I'm the kind of person who needs to be busy all the time or else I go nuts and get depressed. And so I decided to get a, like one of these big NAS boxes with like eight drives in it to consolidate because I was running out of drive space. I was running out of space. I was like, if I just keep buying more external drives and then you got to have copies of those and you got to make, you know, like, you yeah. don't, it's complicated. I was like, I don't want these on my desk. I don't want to turn them on and off. I don't want like. And plus you kind of want them sorted if they aren't already. Yeah. I mean, my stuff is fairly organized, but you know, I wanted to have them more consolidated and I need to future proof the whole thing. So yeah. I was like, and I dumped like $2,400 into drives in this big NAS box. It's in my closet <laughs> that it connects via all these fancy things. And it's, and it works and it does it. And did you do it? Yeah. But you know, that took me three days cause I'm a nerd. <laughs> so now I'm like, okay, I just spent $2,300 in three days. <laughs> three, yeah. So maybe I'll, um, I can't spend $800 a day to keep myself busy. You know, maybe I'll watch all the Marvel movies in order now. <laughs> we, we did that too. <laughs> yeah. We, we did that. I, I was thinking briefly about doing all the TV shows as well, just to keep every some, TV show. Yeah. All of them, you know, Punisher even. Oh yeah! Oh, all the Marvel TV shows. All the Marvel okay, TV, it. not not I all the like shows. All TV shows. <laughs> no, I, I have a real problem sitting down and watching TV. I don't want to do it. So I, it's actually a, a chore. What you me. don't enjoy it? Uh, I don't enjoy things that make me anxious. So dramas are hard for me. Oh, me too. Uh, and I, I pay such close attention to performance performances on a regular basis that I don't want to sit there and pay that much attention. So I love watching things like. Um, uh, 
acid, fat, salt, the Samine um, okay, yeah. thing on, on Netflix. I loved the Great British Bake Off. I liked things that didn't involve a narrative. Yeah, how about like straight documentaries? Like, I haven't started that yet, but I think I'm going to do Because we watched a documentary the other day called Six by Sondheim, which is <gasps> all you? interviews with Sondheim. And he talks about six songs that I guess they chose to represent different chunks of his career. Yeah, I think I would like that a that lot. Was, that was actually really interesting. It's like I tend to, my wife, Heather's all about fiction. Yeah. And she reads constantly. She'll like watch all these fiction TV shows. I would sit and read Wikipedia and watch documentaries yeah. if it was up to me. Yeah. I like following um, Wikipedia links and especially if it has to do with music. And then I listen oh, to someone's entire discogra- discography because, yeah, I love that stuff. But yeah. you say, I, I can't watch um, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. to save my life. Yeah, what about uh, cringe comedies? You know, the kinds of things that make you, oh, God, no, 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 go in there. Oh, God, oh. Well, like, Curb Your Enthusiasm really you bothered me. No, I couldn't do Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't do any of that stuff. No, um, I can do Seinfeld, though I get so mad sometimes at Seinfeld. Except as I've gotten older, I've noticed why they do the things that they do on Seinfeld. Sure. And now they're it very makes effective me laugh. at it. Yes. Big Bang Theory, I could watch the whole thing. Do you, okay, so you went to school for theater back in the day. You did, did. some acting too before you did, did more tech stuff. I won awards. Right. Yep. So you're watching these people. Is it because you're watching, you, can you not, do you, are you looking at them as actors or are you looking at them as characters and you're kind of, you see what I'm saying? Does your I uncomfortableness do come from no, you not, watching them from a technical point of view or do you yep. get lost in it and you're sucked into the character and that's what makes yep. you uncomfortable? I get lost in it. I do not look at the technical aspects of what the actors are doing. That's such a, it's so beyond me now. I, I realized very early on that I was not an actor and uh, I can't judge anymore. They're, actually, that's not true because I did watch some things over uh, lockdown, like the National Theater's um, Frankenstein. Okay. And there was one actor on there who played the father of, I think, of Frankenstein, the doctor. And he was so bad. He was Fr- so Frankenstein's bad. Frankenstein's father? Frankenstein's father, yes. And they, they, it was just a bad actor or like wrong role for He was just a bad her? actor. He just couldn't, uh, it just seemed like he wasn't in, invested as much as the other people are. I couldn't, I couldn't invest in his story. Yeah. He stuck out like a bat, like a sore thumb. You know, we, we watched, uh, uh, Hamilton the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I had never seen it. I'd listened to the music. I I I knew the first act pretty well from the recording. Yep. I was never one of those people who just listened to it on repeat over and over again. Like I appreciate it, but it just never like really drew me in. Yeah. Um it's cuz you aren't 15. Yeah, that that could be part of it. And I I I had to photograph the guy who took over for Lynn as Hamilton, this guy Javier Munoz. I would like to see him. Yeah, he was supposed to be great. Yeah. So I photographed him for some magazine, and he and I kind of, like, became, like, acquaintances. And I wanted to see him, but then he couldn't even get me tickets. Nope, no way. And it's like, okay, you're the lead guy, and you can't get tickets, then there's no tickets to be had. Anyway, I watched the the Disney Plus one. Yep. And I thought it was good. In fact, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would. Yep. Um, The Leslie Odom Jr., the guy who played... Everyone talks about how amazing he is. He's a good singer, but I didn't find his character all that. It's funny. I was not sucked in by him. That. Yeah. He was the la- He was at the bottom of the list as far as yeah. I was concerned. And, and I saw that cast because I um, I bought tickets before previews for Christmas, so I I got in early, and uh, I was blown away by him in the theater. 
But watching the Disney Plus. So I, I'm not wrong. No, I thought he was like, at first of all, I thought it was a different person. Because I'm like, that's not Leslie Odom Jr. My parents who've been watching Good Morning America all week where they were doing, they yeah. were interviewing him. They said, no, 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 that's him. And I was like, it's not the Doesn't same, the same magic. magic. No. Yeah. And the other guys, uh, I knew I really liked Lafayette. And oh, the guy who plays, that, he's fantastic. David. Uh, he was really great. And he, I thought he was better on the Disney Plus version than he was the night I saw him. Yeah, it's funny. The, the swagger he has is Jefferson where he's like walking around with a cane and throwing it around. You're just like, okay. That's Perfect. Well done. Yeah. Perfect. Um, yeah, I enjoy that. It's so... I guess that's interesting to me. Well, let's back up because because I, I tend to like to go in quasi chronological order. Cool. So you you were acting at UNH. Yep. What made you think? Oh, the other side of it's just as interesting or more interesting to me. I was doing both at the same time, and I had uh, I had a a TA ship where if I worked in the scene shop. Full-time, I don't remember how many hours full-time was, I would get full in-state tuition off. And I was an out-of-state student. Oh, that's crazy student. good. Wait, where'd you, where'd you grow up? Massachusetts, just north of Boston. Okay, all right. Um, and, and, and I was offered that my first year of school, and I was like, you know, I don't know about this whole college thing. Let me, let me go part-time for a semester. You weren't sure if you wanted to go to college at all or UNH specifically? I wasn't sure if I could handle the course load of being at college. I took that very seriously. Okay. And also work full time. I got it okay. in, in in the shop, and so I, I just didn't. I what I was hesitant at first. So for my second semester at school, I worked part time in the shop, and had you done some shop, some like uh, tech yeah. work in high school and stuff? I had because um, when I went to Marblehead High, okay, and it has a a wonderful performing arts center. So other theater groups would perform in that performing arts Use center. your theater, I got it. Yeah, and there was one really great production of A Chorus Line that I auditioned for but really was not cut out for. Yeah. So I, I was a stage manager, and that was fantastic. But all through high school and middle school, I actually worked behind the scenes as much as I could. I preferred acting in high school, but, but backstage stuff was just as fun for me. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I, I tend to feel the same way. Except I've learned as I've gotten older, like I, I'm a, I'm a nerd. Like I was telling you, you know, like I used to be a recording engineer. Right? Yeah. That's what I did, which is sort of a similar-ish kind of thing just in, in sound as opposed to light. You Absolutely know what I mean? Absolutely it is. Yep. Um, so, so it, it's like, I totally understand the draw of that. Yeah. As I've gotten older, I found that like, I want more control. And in some ways mm. I actually have a hard time, even the times when I mess around with, directing stuff like we're all write short films or try to make things yeah it's like i'll have other people working with me but many times i'll be like Shit, i want to do the sound and the camera and i want to direct and i want to write exactly like i don't trust you other create people the whole thing yeah yep but in these larger productions you can't do it all you can't you have to start trusting other people and yep. delegating and I always think about people like Steven Spielberg making movies. It's like he has such a tight production team that he yeah. can just say, we're going to go do that. I've got my team. Let's, let's go. everybody let's we're going that direction for the next six months. And he knows that Kaminsky will shoot it right. Yep. And he knows the lighting people will get six, 18 K lights out the window to make it look like God's out there or whatever. Yes, But that's years of trust that he yeah. built up with them. Yep. You know, and it's not, you know, working on a production like that, any of any kind the theatrical or film is not a democracy 
Spielberg is in charge, and if you don't give Spielberg what Spielberg wants, he'll find somebody. He'll find can. somebody else. Yeah. Uh, he. he so it's sort of like he's he's distilled down to his team. Exactly. And yeah. he found people who will surprise him, definitely, because you don't want someone to just... Yeah, you want somebody who's automaton. better at what they do than you are. Exactly, but who can realize your vision. Yeah, yeah. And and that's what I do now, which is why what I love more. I mean, I, I realized it at UNH that to be an actor, you have to jump through this window. You have to leave yourself on one side and completely assume the life of somebody else. Yeah. And I couldn't do that. And I knew I couldn't do that. And you ha- and there's so many stories of failed actors or people who wanted to do that and then did something else. I didn't. I knew that I was being launched in college. And that was my best shot to have a career in this performing arts thing that we do. Yeah. And I didn't want to be stuck out of the gate with something that wasn't terribly extraordinary. So I um, I switched to to tech. I I and I specifically switched to electrics because I found that the People who fixed things that had to do with electricity were generally smarter at the time in college than people who fixed things having to do with wood. Interesting. Yeah. You're like, these are the people with more nerdy knowledge. I want to be on that side of the fence. Exactly. It really appealed to my geek side. Yeah, 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 yeah. It was more about science and and geekness than it was about geometry and, and something realized in... Um, something tactile. Yeah, tangible form. Exactly. Although, there, I mean, there is there is a certain metaphysicality to lighting in the sense that... Oh, there is. You the paint people, with light. What, what you are seeing is very different from what is that's making the thing that you're seeing. Yeah. And we'll, we're going to get all into that because yeah. I, I, that's what I want to know. Because, There's, you know, if I do my job right, you come out having not, an experience, an emotional experience and you don't notice yes. that you're manipulated. Do you, do you feel like you are at your most successful when no one even comments on your work? Yeah. I would prefer nobody knew there was lighting. Sometimes I think about that from a photography perspective. I always think if yeah. someone can't tell that I've added lights and that I've retouched this thing. Yeah. You did a great job. Then I did my job. It should be invisible. If you can see the lighting, then you failed. Yeah. Like in some ways, like. I feel like that's an element of it. Definitely. Although although now things are a little different with moving lights, people always see you. Yeah, so you okay. Be so good. there's okay, there's so much stuff. There's all, okay, yeah. so first of all, how did you end up going from college to having a job at the Met? I left school a year early. Okay. Because I I had reached what I thought I could get I've out. I learned all I could learn. Right. It's such a hubristic thing to say <laughs> at such a young age. And one of my acting teachers actually tried to tell me that I was wrong. That, you know, oh, that at my you're, senior, you're making a mistake by exactly, leaving. Exactly. Because you, when you're your senior year at school, you get to finally spread your wings. You're the big yeah. dog on campus and yeah. all that. And I was like, but I don't want to be the big dog. I want to be. I want to learn. I want to be the little guy. I, I always talk about. So I went to Berkeley in Boston and Ooh. like there were all of these like super phenom players yeah. around, right? Sure, but were they learning the business of it? Well, and and part of me, like I would see these kids who were 18 years old and they'd come in and they'd be playing giant steps and they'd be like playing in a way that I would never be able to play if I played every moment of my life and they're 18 years old and they're playing like that. I go, what are you here for? What do you think you're going to learn here that you yeah. wouldn't learn out there just playing with players that are as good or better than you? Right. Being Although the top at- dog in this school. That's pretty good. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. Like it's like you could be you got you can be you know you could be Branford Marsalis and come in and you're like this monster player. Yeah. But like, 
go out and play and save yourself $180,000 or yeah. whatever it is, you know? Exactly. And that, and that had an aspect to it, too. I mean, I was going to go out. I got an internship at a, a, a Lort Theater in Atlanta, and I'll explain what that is. Yeah. But uh, a little bit because I wanted to get a paycheck instead of, uh, instead of paying. Then you know, I didn't cost my parents a lot of money, but I was costing them some money every year. And I didn't want to do that anymore. Like painfully responsible. Yeah, it was hard. (laughs) It was really really hard to decide to go to such an expensive school, even though today in today's money, that's nothing. Yeah, yeah. And what was this public school in New Hampshire teaching me about the career of technical theater? We didn't even have, we didn't have any technology at the time. Yeah. But I, I learned later that they actually gave me quite a good base for the rest of my life. It was because of them that I'm What year did you graduate? I graduated in 98, but I left in 97. All right. Okay. So, I mean, there is, I mean, I I left college the same in 98. Well, in my world, everything was moving. I mean, there was still some analog and there was digital, but it was like early Pro Tools and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You must have been sort of like that must have been still the transition between everything being completely automated and computerized lighting wise. Yeah. That was like sort of the big shift was around then. It wasn't was it? the big shift. And a lot of it wasn't even with moving lights. It was even with something called a source Four. a company okay. called ETC Electronic Theater Controls came out with a, a new, more responsible tungsten light that didn't take as much uh, wattage to, to produce as much light. How did it do it? Uh, it was a design of the reflector, a oh, new okay. reflection design, a new lamp. They, yeah. they built a new lamp, and the uh, the lamps, like they they built a new light envelope, and then the units, the lighting units, were just superior in every way. They they were plastic instead of metal. Uh, and which they, can, they could take the heat. They could take the heat, and they could really push the light out instead of absorbing some of it. it Okay, and that was a technological that was a technological revolution in my industry. When did like DMX stuff come into it? Oh, that was already um, early nineties. I would say mid nineties. I think USITT came out with a DMX protocol somewhere in the early like which is sort of like MIDI for lights. Yes, it is sort of like MIDI for lights. So so. Sorry, can we get nerdy for just one second? Absolutely. Okay, so in MIDI, it's it's all about like uh, one hundred twenty eight levels in channels, like 16 channels, yep. and you can, is it very similar kind of design to DMX, and have they updated it over time to give yep. you guys a lot more control, more finer tuned control? Yes. I mean, now now you're on Ethernet and, and other... Oh, everything's over Ethernet. And so other wait, more Ethernet goes to the lights. You no, know, Ethernet goes or control box from that's a control from the control board to a control box, and then you come out of the control. So box. it's sending voltage from the control box to the lights. Yes. Okay. And okay. I don't even know. And that then that's old now too. I don't even know what you do now because I've specified I've like I got more specific into lighting design instead of electrics. So with moving lights, it's even it's even something fancier. Although and these are motors, three like sort of three uh, axis motors on the lights that, to like get mm-hmm. them pointed wherever you. So you don't actually have to go up on the rigging no. all that much anymore. No, in fact, at the Met we don't focus hardly any lights anymore. Really? Yeah, yeah. That that's. Are there still people Sad. like manning spots? Yes, spotlights will always be manned. I think because uh, you, a human can change quick quicker yeah. than than an automated. And we'll fixture. know if something's wrong. A human's going to know that. Yeah, AI yeah. could screw that up. Yeah, and you know there are so, definitely some shows that have automated false spots, like the the David Byrne show. He was all on automated false spots. Really? Mm-hmm. 
Well, th- that meant that he had to, his choreography, he needed to know where to be when. He, well, no, he, he wears a, an, 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 a tracker and oh, the light tracks him. No way. Yeah. Yeah. They're now, they're, they weren't very successful when they first came out, but yeah. now they're getting better and are better. They, wait, are they passive and something's bouncing off of them? Like, 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 uh, yeah. It's that versus like some sort of active it's not, beacon. It's not a beacon. Yep. The, the light's trying to find its ID. And he's he's their ID, wow. and he's got three different uh, three head and different, shoulders or whatever. Yeah, exactly. They they at first they had a, like a belt pack that you would put on people, but if they were a larger person, especially in the opera world, the light couldn't find it. It couldn't go through the person. So now uh, <laughs> costumes has stepped up, and they sew them into the costumes. Are they visible to humans if I if I was looking for it? I don't think so. Not unless the costume designer didn't do their job. Wow. Okay. See, these are these are the kinds of things that I never learned. Okay. Yeah. But anyway, that's ahead of our. All right. So you're down in you're down in Atlanta. We'll come back to the Texas stuff in a second. You're down in Atlanta. You got this internship or job? Yep. I got an internship with the Alliance Theater Company in Atlanta, Georgia, as a stage hand, a a stage crew intern, which was fantastic because I worked nights working the uh, shows. I worked every show that came into the big. Space in the Alliance Theater Company. It was a lot of grunt work, like a lot of stuff that was like, oh, yeah. oh, "This is crappy work." Or were you, they actually had you doing good stuff that you were learning all kinds of skills? Um, you know, during the load-in, they had carpenters from the shop that would, for the most part, build the, the scenery, and they kind of wanted you out of their way. But I was there to help them do whatever they needed, and then I ran the shows. So I would hand off props, I would run the trap door for the Christmas Carol, I yeah. um, swept, did a lot of sweeping, did a lot of maintenance. Did they realize early on that it's like, oh? She's clever and she can keep up, so let's just keep giving her stuff. Well, I would freelance in my spare time as an electrician. And okay. the head electrician at the Alliance Theater at the time, who has since passed, he took some sort of liking to me. And I don't know why. He was a grumpy old man. And I loved him dearly. Maybe that was why. And I worked for him whenever I possibly could. And then he hired me the next year, my first year officially out of college. Yeah. I was in charge of their second stage. The, we called it the pit. Okay. So did you get a electron or electrician's license or mm-hmm. were you licensed or bonded or anything you have to be? Do you nope. have to do it? You, you don't have to do that for, for electricians, for theatrical electricians. Theatrical electric. If you are in local one, they highly recommend, and it might be mandatory now that you take, you have to take and pass an electrics course. It is not easy, but just for um, theaters, because it's all temporary, yeah. it, it's not... OSHA doesn't put it in the same category as regular electric. Because it's going up and tearing down X weeks, months later. That's correct. Um, you have to have a working grasp of how electrics work so that you sure, can plug yeah. things in. And certainly as things got more and more exciting, like uh, there was a, a couple of years there where everyone wanted to use fluorescent lights. Yeah. And that was, if you want them to dim, you got to know a lot about ballasts and grounding yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and ghost loads and Wait, things who, like when that. When were people using fluorescent lights? When did that become a thing? Oh, it's been a thing for a long time. Um, They're essentially like kinos we would use in in like movie world. They're like a, a bank, like four foot by four light banks. Oh that they no, use on these movie would stuff. be um, four foot single or double tubes. Actually, we have some at the Met that are four foot long, and they have four tubes in there of different colors, and you can turn oh, them you on can, and mix it's them. RGB. Yeah. Okay, so how do they? They can't put off that much light though. Oh, but they do, and they're usually used as footlights. Uh, or we had a system at the Met uh, using them as psych lights, and they would bounce off the psych. They're they're beautiful. They're nice, even ethereal kind of light. I think you know what's interesting about it because I think about lighting from a photographic point of view. Mm-hmm. 
um, in the sense that like I know how much light I need at ISO 400 mm-hmm. at this f-stop or whatever it is and like yeah, it's generally like, it's, like it's more light than you think yes. but a lot of times in theater it's there's not. a lot less light than you think yes your eye doesn't need that much light but the camera yeah. does I what was I working on I was working on something once where they had lights up on the stage and I was like I was at ISO 800 F4. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. I, it was not a lot of light. Right. And I was just thinking that's amazing that it's how dark it is. Mm-hmm. We learn that every uh, every time we film for the live and HD series at the Met. They complain and they go, can you give us more light? Oh, my gosh. The two things they complain about the most is I can't see anything because reflective light, your eye can pick up reflective light, but the camera cannot. So if you don't have a light specifically on that wall... While you're sitting in the theater, it's ba- there's light bouncing off of it, yep. and you see the wall, but the camera can't. It doesn't have the contrast that you, no. your eyes do. And then the other thing is uh, color temperature between units. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's really funny. Well, so, you know, you know, I now I remember exactly what it was. I was on the set of the CBS Nightly News. Yeah. And they have, you know, a whole bunch of one-by panels up to LED panels, yep. stuff in the desk up shining yep. so that, like, to get rid of shadows yep. underneath so them, in the eyes and eyes. all the rest of it. Yeah. And I, yeah, it was ISO 800, 1600. I was like, this is a television studio? And I remember the, the, they, it was, it was like some lawyer guy from CBS who was, you know, like the head chief counsel or whatever it is. Yep. So it was like to have like a home court advantage. He asked, he got a favor and got us on the set to do these things, Great. which meant all these Teamster guys had to be there when they didn't really want to be there. And you hear horror stories about like, oh yeah, those guys like just being like, I don't know, this is a waste of time. Like, why, you know, being jerks. Yep. These guys were like, do you need Apple boxes? Like, what do you want for the lights? I was like, just bring them all the way up. And like, they're like, okay, we can do that. Yep. They were super nice and helpful. But I was surprised how little, like, even trying to balance my strobes with it was difficult because they were too powerful for the ambient. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, totally. <laughs> so. When you guys are doing color, are you worried? I mean, do people get up there with meters to make sure you have enough light on the stage? Or? No. And that's, we don't have time for that. Uh, our, we have so a as shader. As long as it looks good, that's it? Yeah. We have a shader who works his butt off in the truck. He's one of the. What's that shader? A shader. He is a, he's a human stopgap between what's coming in from the cameras and what's going out to broadcast okay. and he uh, interfaces with the, with us the line design team to tell us look the camera can't see that you need to help you need to fix that he, it's almost like he's a technical like a colorist DP. in he's real time he's a colorist in real time and he is damn good now i mean if, if his name is billy you, steinberg i gotta name check him he's okay because really we we're, okay so you're, you're we're, we're talking about the met now so yeah. we're talking about opera yeah so we're talking about are these like the live events you can go see at theaters and that kind of stuff yes is that what we were and talking that, and about? It, it, you have that person for everything for every, every time something live is filmed you have a shader how often is how often are the things filmed live uh, well, think about boxing matches. Thinking, think about um, at the football games when you're talking, when you, yeah. the talking heads. There's somebody always after the guy who's calling the cameras, the director yep. is calling the cameras, basically coloring in real time before it goes out to yep. the world. Yeah, making sure that everything coming in from the cameras is okay. And if a camera goes down, um, not mechanically, but digitally, that's the guy who fixes it. Most of the time that you guys are doing the filming, is there an audience or is it usually like a, a day off that they're doing the filming as like an empty with an empty hall? There's always an audience. Okay. So in those situations, if he says, I need more light over there in that corner, you're making changes to the lighting design and everything in real time that might not be there normally, but is there because they happen to be filming it that day. That's correct, though. We try extremely hard 
to maintain the intention of the, of the lighting designer and the designer's look yeah. of the space. But it could so, be a yes. half a stop. It might not be all that much exactly. you need. And you can almost not see what we do in the house if you're sitting yeah. there. Yeah. But the camera, it makes huge differences. Yeah. And, you know, if you're sitting in the house, you see that wall. But if you're watching it on camera, you don't. Yeah. So we're just making it look what, like, the designer made it look in the house for yep. the people watching it in, in the movie theaters. All right. So you're in Atlanta. Yep. So I'm in Atlanta. I work for a, a company called the Alliance Theater Company, yep. headed by um, Kenny Leon at the time. It is a Lord Theater, a league of resident theaters. For the first half of the... 19th of the 18th century, sorry, 20th century, the 1900s, this idea of, of resident theater companies popped up in, in major and minor cities all over the country. So you, um, you would have a bunch of actors. They would hire actors for the whole season and they would put on shows all season long, usually fall to spring. Okay. Um, for people in those theater, in those cities to see, and they would put on amazing works. That is sort of, while the theaters are still there, the idea of um, maintaining a company of actors doesn't happen anymore. Yep. But it's still called region, uh, League of Resident Theaters. They're also called um, regional. They're all, you know, they're all yeah. over the country. We have, we have five in New York, actually. Um, they are such a wonderful place to learn theater, both as an audience and as a, as a technical person. Because you get... The, usually the artistic directors of these theaters are trying to build a season that their populace is interested in. So uh, I worked in one in, Alliance, in, in Atlanta and I worked in one in Baltimore and the programming is different because the populace is different. Yeah. And it's fascinating and interesting and, and it's all like PBS listening people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, uh, but also outreach like crazy trying to get new audience members in. Uh, and I loved it. I worked there for, I worked at the Alliance Theater Company for two years and then I switched to uh, Center Stage in Baltimore for two years. Okay. What do you uh, think of Atlanta versus Baltimore versus Boston and, and New Hampshire? You know what I mean? Like I loved being in the minority. That's why I moved to Atlanta. Yeah. I was so tired of looking around and seeing everybody look like me. I didn't have words for that at the time, but yeah. that's why I ran to Atlanta. And it was wonderful. It was wonderful to see a black middle and upper class who could go to the theater and demand certain programming. That it's a weird thing growing up wonderful. in the Northeast. It's so weird. I mean, Boston is pretty uh, diversified, but it's... It's it's segregated, though. Oh, well, everything is. But um, not there... Yeah, the upper and middle class of non-whites in Boston at the time were all seemed to be um, of Asian descent or there or you know the some people who went to MIT and then would yep. leave. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I, I grew up in a pretty segregated part of the country. Yeah, I mean, I grew up in Connecticut, so and went to school yeah. in Boston, so we had a similar kind of uh, world that we lived in. Yeah. yeah, and it was wonderful to be in Atlanta. I it was a great first city. Yeah. Um, Where's the theater in Baltimore? It is um, on Peachtree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's next to the High Museum of Art. It's okay, in a yeah. it's in a complex. Okay. Because um, Baltimore is like, I mean. Both a very uh, uh, black city in in yep. a lot of ways, but also like crazy poverty in areas of. I yeah, mean, Baltimore. I mean, the, the it theater is the wire in, in many ways, especially when you were is. there. That's it probably was. What it, it was, was like. the wire. Yeah, I uh, and the theater is not in a great part of town in Baltimore. In Baltimore, 
<laughs> there's a section of town called, um, I think it's called Farrell Hill. It's where the Peabody yep. is. And um, I think it's the Walter Art Gallery. Um, and then and the theater is just down the hill from that. Unfortunately, on the other side of the highway from the theater is Central Booking. And through Federal Hill, uh, there's a lot of, there was at the time, a lot of crime because the theater and Federal, I think it's called Federal Hill, I might be wrong, is was between Martin Luther King Boulevard and Central Booking. And so if you left anything at all in your car, people who just were released yeah. had nothing and they would break into yeah. your car on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That it's like was San Francisco now. Different. People just leave their car doors open because they're like, if you yeah, break it, there's nothing in there's here. Nothing if you want to open the door here. to look. Yeah. Uh, I learned a lot. Um, when I first got to Baltimore, I had broken my foot because I worked at Summer Theater at Glimmerglass Opera Company for seven years, which is probably why I'm in opera now. Actually, it's definitely why I'm in opera now. And uh, I broke my foot on a loadout at, at Glimmerglass. So I was walking very slowly, and it was I was starting a new job at Center Stage in Baltimore, and I'm walking back to my apartment, which is walking distance from the theater, which I thought was fantastic. And I'm walking behind these two guys who are talking nonstop. They were what I what they called it. Uh, oh, we're just John. It. They're definitely black. They were definitely local. They're from Baltimore, and. Uh, I'm listening to them and I'm getting the biggest kick out of them. Yeah. They're so funny. And so finally they realize that I'm following them essentially. But they, and so they turn around and are like, how come you're following us? And I'm like, I can't pass you. And I look and I, I'm pointing <laughs> I'm at my too foot. Slow with my broken yeah, foot. And, so, and they start laughing at me. So we walk a couple blocks together and they're like, all right, girl, where are you from? And I said, I'm, uh, I just moved up here from Atlanta. And he goes, oh, that's why you're talking to us. Yeah. And like, I was like, what do you mean? Nor, yeah, your average white person in, in, in Baltimore is not going to talk to mm-hmm. us. Yeah, so I'm really, so really much, like, happy. So much fear and just bolt. It's, it's all bullshit. Ugh, it's so but frustrating. It okay. made me very happy that I had both of those experiences. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Baltimore was rough, but I really loved the city. I yeah. loved it. The, uh, the kitschiness, the 1960s aspects of it at the time were great. Yeah. And then from Baltimore, I moved down to Miami just to start my career in opera. I worked at Florida Grand Opera for two years. So now... Did you were you a fan of opera before you got into working on opera? Nope. Uh, it was luck of the draw. I got this summer internship at Glimmerglass Opera. My between my after my junior year of college before I left, and um, actually my technical director, who's in charge of the scene, scenic aspects of of the theater uh, from UNH, David Ramsey, said, "Look." be careful when you take your summer internships because that will that very well could determine. Your, what direction are you going? Your direction. And I took his advice and worked for this amazing company called Glimmer Glass Opera Company in Cooperstown, New York. They have an in, intense program for young theater people. They they pass on safety like I have never seen in my life. They make you wear steel-toed shoes. They make you wear hard hats. You learn what an MSDS form is uh, that governs chemicals and how to use them. And you learn all the safety aspects of working with chemicals. Even if you're a lighting designer and don't work with chemicals, yeah. you sit through well, those. There's chemical lighting, I guess. Is, well, is, I, I mean. You it, flashes and bangs and whatever. Well, sure. Pyro. Um, you know, at the time we were dipping lamps in something called lamp dip, which is highly toxic. So you needed to what does know. lamp dip do for you? Lamp dip, it changes the color of a clear light bulb. It's oh. paint that can handle um, withstand heat. Oh, interesting. Only okay. scenic artists are allowed to do that now because you have to be completely covered and be under a hood. 
It is really toxic Probably stuff. like, well, in my day, we used to drink it. Oh, yeah. We'd do shots of it after class. Pretty much. <laughs> or, you know, you dip your, your sea wrench, which is the, the tool that every electrician uses. You would dip it in some um, plastic to give it a grip. Yeah. And that stuff must be awful for you, too. But you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. we all learned how to do that and how to use any kind of uh, yeah. any kind of power tool that was in the shop. You had sure. to be checked out on it. It was fantastic. Yeah. I really got a lot out of that place. Now, I... There are pieces of opera that I absolutely adore. Mm -hmm. I have found the times I've gone to the opera, I don't have the endurance. It's a lot. Opera's long. I can do two hours of opera. I can't do three hours of opera. Yeah, and at the Met, we do four hours or more. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, is that a common thing? Am I wrong? And I feel like, and I'm... No, you're not wrong. And I, you know, know music. So it's like, I feel like if if I'm sort of a best case scenario in many ways, and I can't do it, I mean, there is a, it's like as, as like you were saying earlier, where it's like, it's a bunch of PBS people going to see, it's like, there's a lot of little old ladies going to see opera. Yes, there are. A little and, yeah. and how do you bring in new people? So this art form continues Yep. without it just being some, oh, we're rich. So therefore we support the opera because that's what you're supposed to do. Cause we're all hedge there's a fund long tradition people. of that. But, yeah. There's a lot of that. Uh, you, you know, that's why we have marketing, PR, and education. I also think that opera companies across the country are faced with, do we cut the score so that modern audiences can... They can't uh, do four hours, but they can do two and a half. Exactly. They can come after work. You can see the show and still get home and get a good night's sleep to go to work tomorrow. That is not the Met. Of course not. That's not the mission statement of the Metropolitan Opera. But... But there are plenty of regional opera companies across the country that that do do that because they want audience members. And our particular company tries to get new butts in seats with with programming, Um, either flashy directors and designers from Broadway. um, Maybe we throw Kathleen Turner in an opera, which we've done or, you know, we just keep trying. It is amazing. I mean, I I have. I will admit I haven't been to see an opera at the Met in my 20 years of being in New York, and I feel bad saying that to you. Um, And so I need to. But when I've seen footage of stuff done at the Met, mm-hmm. it, the, the, the size of the stage, the amount of people involved, yep. the quality of the sets, the lighting, the whole thing, the whole package is so overwhelmingly like, holy crap. Yeah. It's grand opera. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's the full thing. It's it's, it's 110%. So we have an annual budget of around $300 million. We are the largest performing arts organization in the country. And we are by far, I think, the largest uh, not-for-profit in the country. So you get paid, what, 1% of that? Is that what you Oh, not even. (laughs) (laughs) I wish. Uh, And we are, we're like an aircraft carrier. Yeah. So this pandemic is really hard for us because how... We don't, we can't turn real quickly. Yeah. Is everyone just, I mean, what, 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 how often do you guys change, uh, the, the work? Like how, how, how is it? Was it two a year, three a year? How many operas do you guys put on? How long do they last? So we, over the course of 33 weeks, that's how long our season is. Yeah. We do 27 different productions. Holy crap. Every week we do five, four to seven, four to seven different operas. Depending on which oh, so where you, we are. you have to change up everything every single day. Every day we have at least two, if not three operas. Which on is stage. a completely different thing than say, 
uh, Broadway where they're yes. just doing the same thing over and over and over it's and over and over again. It's a completely different ballgame. Yep. Um, Which is why I love it so much. Well, Opera it keeps it rec. interesting. You're not doing the same thing every day. Yes. But there is. must be in a certain rotation, yep. it must be like, ah, oh, we're doing opera number six. Oh, scrap. That one's a pain in the ass. Oh, definitely. And you have to, you know, the programmers don't necessarily think when they're making the season how hard it's going to be to go from, transition from opera one to five another. to opera six. And, yeah. and that can really be a problem, especially on Saturdays when we've got two shows, a matinee yeah. and an evening show, and they're different. Yeah, but I mean, but like in some ways... Digital recall is the thing that makes any of this possible. I mean, you sure, could, lighting you is fine, do, almost fine. You couldn't make these kinds of change. You couldn't do two operas in a day if you w- didn't weren't able to say load up this one. Let's all right now we're eighty percent of the way there. Yeah, without even actually moving anything. I think that might be true, though. We do move a lot. Those sets are not automated for the most part. They are yeah. more and more now, which takes more time because you have to set the tracks in the floor every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the scenery is not automated. The lighting is now automated, though. For this is brand new. Like this is the second year that the lighting is automated, and not all of it is. We still have um, a human-focused light every 18 inches, ringing the proscenium, and a proscenium is is I don't know. It's it's usually um, it's 56 feet wide, and um, depending on the how height. does the light know where you are in the score? Is we there- have a computer light board. Okay, but is it a click track that's following the orchestra? Nope. Like the orchestra, is it, how does it know where you are? A stage manager says. Oh, is doing calls. Doing calls. Okay. I want you to be in light Q56 right now. And the light board operator says. And he's got a big in, book and, or whoever. No book. It's just all, it's all on a screen. Oh, it's all on a screen. Okay. Yeah, I have a book. That's my job. Do you like the, having a, a, a physical book? I do. I really like having a physical <laughs> book. I've actually been made fun of quite a bit for having a physical Wait, book. Wait, are, are, is that an odd thing for somebody to have? Not at the opera company. But I think in life right now, yes. <laughs> okay. I, that should all be on an iPad. So you are, so yeah, you guys are in holding pattern. Like no one's there right now. We're in a total holding holding pattern because um, we just had a, a town hall meeting. You about said it was two 30 weeks some, 33 weeks? We have a 33 weeks. When season. is the normal break? Now. Um, okay. So we have lined up with the summertime when you were breaking anyway. That's right. Okay. So we, but, but we would be back now. To do the paperwork because August is when we tech our new productions. Yeah. We have uh, between four and six new to us operas every year. Yep. Brand new. And uh, although oftentimes, especially now, they're co-productions because the Met schedule does not allow any time for discovery. So if you want to, if the director wants to spend a lot of time with this production that they're going to put up on the stage at the Metropolitan Opera, they will often put it up somewhere else in Europe or Canada first just to poke at it and make sure they've... Was it like Toronto or Paris? Like where where, where, where do these... Oh, all over the country, um, yeah. all over the world. Yes, uh, Toronto, Quebec Santa is Fe. a big one. No, we have done a couple at Santa Fe, from Santa Fe, but they have such specific um, theatrical set, beautiful space set needs. There, though. It's beautiful, and we, we, we have one, at least one that I've worked on called Donna Del Lago that started there, and we had to recreate the walls from Santa Fe Opera because they have walls and nothing in the back. Oh, right, right, right. So that's right, hard right. to do in a, in, a, in a traditional theater, but we've done it. Um, usually in Europe, we work with um, English National Opera, okay. which is uh, London's like city opera, yep. and the Royal Opera House, which is London's Metropolitan Opera. Sure. We don't do that much in, in France. We do a lot in Denmark, Danish National Opera. We've done a couple from um, Moscow. Uh, 
And we do a bunch from Italy. So how many people on the lighting team? There are four members in the lighting to design department. Okay. Staff at the Met. There is an electrician. Uh, there's probably about 150 electricians per show. There are definitely... Uh, you say 150 oh, yeah. electricians? At least. Holy usually more. Cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, because electricians at the Met aren't just the people plugging in lights. They're also the people running the hydraulic lifts on our stage. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, uh, AV, all audio is considered electricians. The video is considered electricians. And the people who run the flies are considered electricians because all of our, all of our flies are automated. So it's runs off a light board or it runs off a board, an electronic board that you need electricians for. It's God. It's okay. So when somebody comes in, is it is it is there a is there a meeting around a table when somebody mm-hmm. new comes in? Usually, is two that years with the director? In two years in advance. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's the director. Down to like, okay, so for the twenty twenty two season, yep. we're going to be doing X. Yep. We're going to spend the next two hours sitting around the table talking about yep, absolutely the plan. Uh, so the director comes in with the set designer, his costume designer, and sorry, it's usually his uh, uh, and lighting designer. Sometimes, usually, you work on. On scenery and costumes first. They're Does, tangible things that someone has to build. And there must be some level of at least mental, like hierarchy of, well, this, our part is more important than your part. Is there oh, any? Is sure. There- that starts so young. Like it starts with, like when I said I, I liked the, the geekiness of electricians better, yeah. it's because I like that side of the razzing better. Right. We're, but we're when co- putting up a show, is there people who are just like, oh, we'll deal with the lighting once the sets and the whatever. Are yes done. and no. When you get to the level of the Metropolitan Opera, everybody has a, a hard job. And so there isn't as much at the opera, but, but I have experienced it in other parts. Uh, I've definitely experienced hostility from technical directors and carpenters who want the lighting out of their way so that they can put the scenic scenery up. Yeah. But the thing is, and everybody realizes this, uh, if you get your set up there and I don't have time to focus my lights, nobody sees no one's anything. Gonna see it. Yeah. Every single part of the theatrical process is is a is a valid member of the collaboration. Yeah. And yes, there's definitely a hierarchy because if you don't have a set to work on, there's nothing to light. You know, if yeah. they're not in clothes, there's nothing to light. Yeah. If you don't have an actor, there's nothing to light. So, so I can't do my job in a vacuum. And for the most part, and especially as Zoom has taught us, you can have the actors and have a show. Right, 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 right. And do you feel like when, when, when once a show goes up, do you feel like you have gotten, th- there's always compromises. Always. So do you feel like you're usually 60, 85% happy with what you guys come up with? If you're lucky, yeah. Um, What we end up being really proud of is is the HD performances. When we take a given that won't work on camera and we feel, and we have two shots at it, the, the, um, it's called the scratch taping, the essentially dress rehearsal for the camera shot shot, and then the camera shot that's live. Uh, If we pull it off, and it looks exactly like the lighting designer intended it to, we are so proud of ourselves. I will take 85%. Yeah. The thing is, is you also have to compromise a lot every single day because the director has a vision that's different than your vision. The producer, especially for for-profit theater like Broadway, if that producer isn't happy, that person can pull their money. So who cares what I think? I want right. that producer to be happy. Right. And I will 
do whatever it takes to make you, that producer. Do you happy. ever get a, a screaming? Do you do you uh, you ever get people yelling at you guys? Oh yeah, all the time, all the time. And usually, like, is it something usually within or outside of your control that they're that they're complaining about? Usually outside. You, you can't really. Take so you just any have of to sit there and just take it because it's like it's not worth fighting them. Absolutely, and it's usually just about the fact that tensions are high. We have a limited amount of time to pull off something really big, and yeah. people get upset about it, and you just let that roll off your back. It's just not worth. I'm not good at that. Are you good at that? Yeah, I'm very good at that. Did you all, were you always good at that, or is that a task, a, a thing you had to learn? I had to learn. I had to learn to not take it personally. And and in fact, sometimes my job, especially because I'm an assistant staff lighting designer, part of my job is to take that from somebody. My boss disagrees. He thinks shit shouldn't roll downhill, and I really thank him for that. But uh, does he ever get in between you and somebody else? If he has to, he will. But um, but what happens in the real world is that your designer gets really frustrated and the only person in the room he's allowed to yell at is the assistant. And I would rather have that person yell at me and, and get that out of their system yeah. than yell at the d director and never work again. Yeah. Do you think that a lot of times it is just sort of needing to get rid of some sort of thing? Absolutely. It might not even be about you. It's just getting rid of this energy. Yes. It, it, it is my job to make sure it's never about me. And if I am happy that it's never not about me, then I don't care. Go ahead and yell. Yeah, 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 yeah. For the most part. I'm there. impressed that you can do that. I can't do that. Well, it's not okay. I mean, in human interactions, that's not how it should go. Yeah. But sometimes things get heated, and what's more important is that you get that show cued. Yeah, you yeah. know, everyone tries not to be that way, except for one designer that I that I know of who nobody wants to work with. <laughs> yeah. Now, the the high level lighting designers, do they know? Is it more of an art? Okay, I had, a, I had a woman up here uh, a couple weeks ago talking about shoe design. Yeah. And she says, you know, we do drawings. We bring those drawings to this team of people at our factory in China. Mm -hmm. They have teams of people that take our drawings and make the dyes that do the cuts, that yep. do the whatever. Yep. Do, but like they have to think about materials. They have to think about that stuff, but they don't actually have to do it part of your job is mm. to take some vision somebody else has yep how many of the what percentage of lighting designers are coming do they know all right we need 10 of these things up here oh, in order yeah. to do this that's do, part of the job that's part of their job yep so they sort of have a menu already laid out about what they need yep and or if rather they, they have a recipe yes you have the menu yes you have this is what we have set up this is what you can use yep and then they're saying okay i need these elements it's the the met is is different but generally how a lighting designer would work is, is it's your job as a lighting designer to know the technology and to know what the quality of light is that comes out of that technology. So there's a lot of uh, going to the manufacturers themselves or the vendors themselves and learning about the new technology. Yeah, what do you that got this year? That is part of your job. Exactly. And no, like doing like uh, uh, color tunable LED lights yep. probably five years, ten years ago. Were awful, but now they're fantastic. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. So there was like there was a, a shift that happens there. Yeah, but that saves you power. That saves you heat. And that it saves you money because uh, you don't have to change. You don't have to change um, plastic gel in front of a lamp anymore. Gels, yeah, and they can react faster probably than yeah. tungsten can. So I mean, there's so you could, it kind of changes the palette. The technology Completely. can change the palette. It has changed. It also changes your eye, and it's it's actually changed the American eye. Uh, our concept of what white is has gone from a, a yellower yeah, idea warm to, now look, yeah. it's, to now it's almost blindingly 
white. Like a 5,500 degree? Like, yes. Like it, and you have to think about that because what daylight. are you trying to evoke in someone's mind? Why is that white? And so you're telling me 20 years ago, people would look at like a tungsten and think it's warm white. and look at white. Yeah. And now if you do that, they think it looks too warm. Yellow. It's yellow. Yeah. It happens That's to interesting. us all the time. Yeah. It is fat. That's been fascinating to me in the last couple of years. I mean, do you te- do things tend to? I mean, I know they're all over the spectrum, but do te- things tend to trend warmer than cooler? It depends what you want out of. Yeah. Oh, what you want out of it? The first generation LEDs they always tended cooler, greener. Well, yeah. I mean, the problem with LEDs in general, especially early LEDs. Is that they were spiky, right? Like their yes. spectrum was spiky. Yes, it's hard to film. So it's like you 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 just don't get certain colors because that color's not in the spectrum that it's putting out. And That's right. It's like street lights. You know what I mean? Like, yes. It's a lot like, like that. Like sodium vapor street lights. Oh it's like, god, those are it's awful. It's just going to look green and nothing. Right. There will be no red in there because there's no red spectrum coming out of the lights. Nope. And so, that and that that can be hard, or that's exactly what you want, and you choose that because of it. Right. But I can imagine for people who are. That, that playing with lights when the technology is not good, somebody, some manufacturer could say, this is the thing. And you go, we put it up and it doesn't look good. Yes. Or people complain and they say it doesn't look good. So therefore it's not good enough. Yep. And that's probably why so many people stayed with tungsten for so long. I think so. Because at least the spectrum is smooth. Yep. And then, yeah, and then arc source lamps were also really reliable. Yeah, sure, sure. So, yeah. so that 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 held on for a long time. We're basically moving to an entirely LED industry. Are the old lights still up, or yes, do they take definitely. them down? It's so expensive to change over that you do it a little bit at a time with capital money or with like grants you get from the power company or something like that. But you have to still use the old lights because you just need lights. Is there any stuff up there that like it's like we haven't used that in three years, and like somebody comes in and they're just like, let's pull up those. You know, yeah. whatever's, and you go, really? Is that really what you want to we use? We deal with that all the time because we need space. And the problem with us at the Metropolitan Opera is we have over 150, maybe 200 different operas that we still have in what's called our repertory. Sure. Because, you know, we do those 27 operas a year and you only bring five back are up new. Again. Yeah. Exactly. So, but we put at the end of the season every year, we bring an oldie but goodie back up that we haven't maybe done since 1988. And do we still have those lights that we used in 1988? And if it's extremely specific, we yeah. better still have that somewhere. Yeah. Otherwise, or figure out some way to mock it up. And that's our job. We do that all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, do you go is... back to references for that? Do you go back mm-hmm. to video footage and see what it looks like on top of the... Video footage is slightly unreliable, but yes, sure. we do. What we Probably have, better now than it would have been 30 years it ago. Is, it's great now, It's but it's still different because you have to be careful. Are you watching the HD version that we Somebody altered a little it, bit? Yeah. So, so you have to be careful, but we have, in you know that book I was talking about? We yeah. have an intense amount of information in that book, and uh, and we just rely on those. We've God, done it the same way since the 1950s, see, 60s, the, sorry. I mean, like when we were saying earlier where I said you guys have the menu and they get to choose, do yeah. you guys have a bigger palette than most places? Yeah. And and it's I would imagine you would, but I like, I'm, you know, not surprised that it is, but yeah. I also could imagine you saying, actually, no, we were oh, no. in the middle of the road or whatever. So we have 80 feet of space from our curtain line to the back wall. And that can be intimidating. So what we tell people, what we used to tell people, now it's different, but what we used to tell people is 
we have we used to have these manned bridges over stage. So it would it would actually be what looks like a bridge going from one side of the stage to the other, but it it went up and down on pulleys depending on what what height you needed the the lights to be at. Full of lights. Those things are full of lights. Um, you've got two pipes in the front of the bridge, two pipes in the back of the bridge, uh, a, a tow tow rail that you could put stuff on. And that was fixed. On like 25-ton rigging up in the roof and oh, the ceiling or whatever it is. Yeah. Unreal. It was that that theater is the most technologically advanced theater in the country. Yeah. And especially when it, it was built in 1964. And which Did they is, retrofit it after that, or is it really their stuff from the 60s? It's still some stuff for the 60s. We're undergoing a major um, renovation right now, which is why we're all um, automated lights over stage. Okay. Uh, but at the time when those bridges were active, well, lighting designer would come into our space and we'd say, what do you want where? And they'd be like, well, what do you have? And we'd say, no, tell me what you really want. Yeah. We, we have too many options. Tell, it's like, it's easier to go yeah. one direction than the other. And it's easier for us we to We will go overwhelm you if we tell you what exactly. you have to work with. We'll go find something close yeah. to what you want and, and, and you give did, you a couple options. Right. And if you did this at a smaller theater and you needed this overall look on this thing, it might be a different way of doing that Absolutely. here because we need so much more light to fill the space. Yeah, exactly. Usually when a designer walks into a... Uh, a repertory company like we have, they have a rep plot, a plot, a, a, a plot of lights that are in the air that we rely on all the time. And so most designers come to us and say, "What's your repertory plot?" And we would say to them, "Well, what do you want?" And that yeah. is that's really jarring for a designer. Usually, they want to know what they've got to work with and go from there. I could imagine some of them are intoxicated by the options, and some of them are overwhelmed. Yes, by the options. it gets to be a little difficult because do you do you like the people who are just like, oh my god, I don't know, you just do it, or you like the people who go, ooh, let's play. A little bit of both. It depends where we are in the season because it, it really is a we don't long have that much time season. You don't have that much time if if you're a new theater, if you're a new pro, sorry, a new production. production you have seven days on stage to get it up, to get it up. And you are so overwhelmed with just the fact of queuing. Yep. You know, you have to, you have to make a look every yeah. time an actor moves. Now they've worked in, in, in studios on blocking and yep. the music and all the rest of it. Yep. For three Be weeks. Yeah. They're they're They've got it together. Now it's like, how do we fit whatever it is we're going to do in this space? Yeah. And that's what takes seven days. Exactly. And it usually you have, a lot more time than that because it's not really seven days. You get on stage at we get on stage at nine and start focusing a show. Yeah. Uh, downbeat the maestro's downbeat happens at ten thirty or eleven, and it happens no matter where you are. If you've Those not finished, going. it doesn't matter because you, you have to. It's maestro's rehearsal. This is also when he has. He's uh, got to figure out the orchestra. The orchestra. So. Uh, the orchestra has union mandated breaks, which we can work through sometimes, which is great because that's our only time to be like, oh, we totally missed that. We got to do it in this half hour. Yeah. And the rehearsal comes down at 2.30 or 3, depending on what time our curtain is that night. And that's it. You have from 10.30 to 2.30. We very rarely take lunch breaks. Now, you guys backstage... Are, are, are you in the theater? Or are you behind glass so you guys can be talking while they're rehearsing? And oh, we're in the theater talking. <laughs> so people are, you're, you're. So theoretically, the the conductors can hear people muttering all over the theater. And sometimes yells at us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's what I was asking. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, we have. Headsets. Would you please shut up? I absolutely. am German. I do not understand. I'm trying to do the orchestra. Oh yeah. 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 Oh yeah, I feel quite bad about that. But also, it's a seventy-five. I'm to do your job too. I'm trying to do my job too, and it's a seventy-five percent orchestra. You can usually not hear us over them. 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing, too, is we're all on headsets. Even though I'm sitting next to my lighting designer, we're on a headset so that we can talk quietly and it's covering my ears. So I, I don't hear the orchestra as yeah, much you could, as you the could person be whisper, in my You could be talking like we're talking right now. Yes, and because I'm talking to people all over the theater. Is it push to talk or is it? No. Uh, yeah, it is push to talk, but it's on a panel in front of me. And I, I, I usually am just... On. Yeah, but if you guys, it's like, I got to go backstage to look at this thing. Can you just click it and just keep talking you and like... better click it, it off. I mean... Because you're you going to take your headset off, off and, and okay, you know, yeah. everyone hears that. <laughs> uh, you, we also have wireless, so you could put something on your belt and walk I was going to say, is the RF pretty good? Like, yeah. can you walk all the way around the thing and not lose people? Or are you losing... Are they coming in and out of... A little bit of both, depending. We have some trouble because the FCC squished the the, 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 the range, yeah, yeah, and and that really that really did a number on us and for the whole industry in New York. Well, we actually. need more cell phones, Carrie. So, <laughs> and we actually that that's funny you say that something happened a couple of years ago where they changed the frequency of something wireless in our theater. I want to say it was had something to do with security. I'm not sure what it was, and it was on the grid in the theater. And um, for some, then our, the next day we came in and none of our headsets were working and it, it really messed up with even some of the sound cues. And we were like, what the hell is going on? They were jamming your frequencies? They were jamming it. And, and it, it just happened that some overnight, some work had been done and they never thought that that would jam the frequencies that we need every single day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that took a day that we to, will to never get back to, to work itself out. People were pissed. Pissed. I could imagine, yeah. That would be frustrating. Yeah. I mean, it must be fun, though. It's like uh, for a long time, my sister, my sister's a museum person, and she worked mm. at the Smithsonian. Yep. You know, and she used to say, you know, she worked at the Liberty Science Center over here in, in, in mm. you know, over here. Yeah. She's worked at all kinds of places. But she says, you know, when you call and you say, hi, I'm Melissa Wadman, I'm calling from the Smithsonian, people call you back. Yes, that is what's awesome. It, it's like playing in the Yankees, right? Like, yeah. Is it like that for the Met, too, where it's like you can call anybody in opera in the entire world and they will take your call? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, you know, just a general layperson has heard of the Metropolitan Opera. It's the first sure. time I feel like I have notoriety. Uh, usually people think that perhaps forging a career in the performing arts isn't the best idea. But once you say you work at the Metropolitan Opera, suddenly everyone. Oh, you, 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 you're doing yeah. okay. My coworker is, comes from a family, an extremely accomplished family. Her father's a trauma surgeon at a, in yeah, Boston. Yeah. You know, her sister is an unbelievable researcher and scientist. And she went to art school. And I think they really thought she was a black sheep of the family because she went to art school. And now she's working at the Metropolitan Opera and her family's so proud of her. Yeah, that's, you know? it's all right now. Exactly. Oh, Billy, you got a you got a cover of a magazine. Now you, you're, it's okay to be a yes, photographer. It's exactly. Like, oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> oh, that drives me crazy. I know. That, so, so that does drive me crazy. But, yeah. uh, and and uh, Broadway got me a lot, too. And it's yeah. like, you know, the regional theater is... So can can the regional theater circuit can be doing much better work than you see on Broadway or even at the Met sometimes? Can't yeah. you think that I did a good job there too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you? Do you I mean, I, I want to ask you a whole bunch of other questions, but I have to ask. Yeah. If if today somebody said, "All right, we want you to leave the Met and come be the headlighting person at Santa Fe or on right. some new Broadway show or whatever it is," yep. is that interesting to you, or or do you like where you are and what you're doing at the moment? I I really love it. It's I've been I've been working in New York City doing repertory opera since 2003. I worked at City Opera for a while. And I am completely challenged by working yeah. at the Met. 
it's hard to find a, a challenge like repertory opera at the scale where you're doing it. That doesn't mean that there isn't a good offer that might come around. Yeah. Um, you know, so like have like be your. I'm in charge. I get to yeah, do everything. Like, there's I was a certain asked power to design a Broadway show, I probably would do that. Now, is that That's the kind of thing you could take leave from your job for four months to go do that? Or is that like the kind of thing you'd have to make a choice? Well, we'd have to talk about it. Yeah. Um, when I started at the Met, I was working on Kinky Boots on Broadway. Sure. And I had, I had that job before I started at the Met. So they made an accommodation for me to go do that on Broadway. Um, which was very sweet of them, but yeah. they didn't have to do that. Now, those are smaller stages than you're working on now. Yes, those are 1,000-seat houses or under, and the Metropolitan Opera is a 4,000-seat house. Yeah. I mean, it's just a completely different level. Completely. of. The, I mean, sometimes you see stuff with, with how, how do they do the water stuff? You mm-hmm. have electricity and water mixing. Yep. That seems like danger, Will Robinson. Usually, you replace the stage floor if you ever have a show with, with water. But... Uh, at the Met, we have plenty of water things, and we just line the floor with plastic. And That's so crazy. And there's just bumpers along the edge to keep it from going everywhere? Usually it's like, it's it like goes a, in a pool. It Usually ends up being a like pit. a giant kiddie pool, essentially. Yeah, something like that, depending on what the need is, yeah. Yeah. yeah or a big trough. To, if you have a rain curtain... If you have rain, it's usually not all over the stage. It's, it's just coming in down one the place. front, and that's all you see. Yes, exactly, and it makes it look like maybe it's yeah, all over yeah. the stage, but it's not. And that's just a trough. Wow, helicopter! I think that's one of those fancy ones that goes to JFK to drop people off. Yeah, commuting by helicopter. That's what I want out of my life someday. Yeah, uh, we got to finish because Carrie's uh, getting picked up by. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it, 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 Electricity wise, mm-hmm. have you ever gotten buzzed by something that you oh, were sure. working on? Okay, my first bite, we call it, uh, in Atlanta working in the pit. The pit was a grid of Unistrut. What's that? Unistrut is a piece of metal with a with a U-shaped trough and you stick in a um, you stick in a little rectangle and then turn it so that it sits on the okay, trough. Got it. Yeah. Uh, that's how the lights are hung. Everything there is metal. Uh, so if you have a short somewhere in one of your cables because you're tying it's all your cable all up to that, it's all hot. Yeah, it can be. It can be hot. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. It's not usually off. It's not. I mean, what kind of voltage off. do those lights run off of? 120. It's all just 120. Yeah. Do the LEDs, they're still running off 120. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's got a, it's an interesting thing because the whole place is wired for lights that need a lot more juice and a lot more. Yeah, the moving lights usually take 220. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so. it's just it's interesting. It's like even if you does if you redid the whole thing with, you know, LEDs that needed a lot less power, yep. you'd probably still leave it at the same voltage mm-hmm. and everything just because all that's, of the infrastructure is already there. Yeah, that's what you've got already. And changing that's a thing. Yeah. You know, uh, so that woman, Peggy Lipton, does hmm. uh, a lot of lighting design for the Paul Taylor Dance Company yeah. and a bunch of other people. Yep. She does a lot of Broadway stuff, too. She's an older woman, I yep. think, now. And her work is really sort of minimal and nice. Like, I like it. Like, you know, for, for what nice she does. Nice and clean. Yeah, super clean. Yep. And one of the things they do that I think I've asked you once before and I didn't understand the answer, so I want to bring it up again. Okay. Is like they'll do a full wash on the back wall of a single color. Yeah. And it seems so consistent. Even. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's the goal. Yes. So how are they lighting that? What is it backlit? Is it front lit? Is it lit from the... Top side, it could be any of yes, these Yes, it could be any of those. Not, It's not usually side unless you're really compromised for space. We okay. have industry standard lights that are made to hit a drop or a wall 
from the front or the back in the case of a translucent drop, and usually also along the ground shooting up. Okay. You usually have both. They're called cyclorama lights. In, in such a way that they are more, they are, they have less powerful at the bottom than they are in the middle, say, coming up from the ground, yep. so that they're even. Yeah, they'll have something called a J reflector. Okay, yeah. So that it, it, it doesn't shoot as much light at the bottom and, and tries real hard to scatter it at the okay, top. Okay, so that's that's the, the trick. Mm-hmm. And you sort of, and you're probably overlapping the two from the bottom and the top or whatever it is. Yep, that's what you try. A nice, so that there's no dip in the middle. Yeah, because yep. you look at it and you go, I don't even know how I would get that, that smooth. Yeah, it's Like in a strobe situation, that would be nearly impossible. Now we're moving on to... Um, you know, LED strip lights, which, yep. and you just have a diode every, what is that, three inches? Yep. And you just line the entire thing with a diode every three inches. Wait, along the back wall? or yeah. So the whole wall is one big panel? Uh, no, oh, sorry, not oh. the whole wall, at the bottom or at the top. Oh, at the bottom of the Usually top. Usually both. Well, it's funny, there is that new stuff they're doing, like uh, like the uh, the West Side Story on Broadway mm-hmm. now. Yeah, they have the LED the walls. the walls, yep. a big light panel. Yep. Um, that both takes some serious and a panel. Yes. Uh, yes. Because they show video on them too. Yep. It's usually is, the same. Which is nuts. It's just really, really fancy panels. Yes. Right. Okay. So, how often do th- like complicated things do they scare you from a oh shoot what if this breaks in the middle of this thing? Oh, always. But that's happened since day one. I mean, if you've got only one light making your really important death scene, you have yeah. to have a backup. So, oh, yeah. Okay. So do they usually, in those situations, would you have both on and if you lose one, you just lose a stop of light or do you have no. it so if one goes down, one goes up? One, it, you've got a, you've got a stop gap. So if one goes, if one breaks, you've got something on a, on a fader that can quickly go in. Um, in, in cases like, like the LED wall, I don't, I'd have never worked with one of those. So I'm not quite sure, but usually you've got media servers going to the plural media servers going sure. to that wall. So with if one backups. goes down, the backup kicks in. Yeah. We also have multiple light boards happening at the same time. So if one goes down, the other one becomes the master. How, how, how quickly does it fail over to the other one? Do, would the, would the audience know? Maybe. Uh, in, in terms of video, there might be a, a stop. A blip, a dip. Yep. Yep. And usually in lighting, you're in a queue for a little while. So you don't How often notice. does that happen? I, more often than you'd like to, to, we'd like to admit. Not that often. Like on Broadway, I've heard one night of a horror story over the course of Frozen. I've heard one yeah. really big horror story. Yeah. Um, it doesn't happen I'd very often. I imagine that's a complicated show. Extremely complicated show. Very. Yeah. And and in those in Broadway, you've got you've got automation running, you've got lighting running, you've got um, audio running from all over the building because you never know where your orchestra actually is set up. Sure. You you have um, you have your electrics and your pipes moving at the same time, so it gets it's very complicated. It, it's it's programmed down to a millisecond. And you've kind of thought about what, what if something goes wrong now, what do I do? That's yeah. the job of the person running the show. And yeah. that's why they're that good is because they've thought about that stuff. Yeah. And again, every once in a while, there will be a horror situation where yep. like everything that can fail does fail and yep. your backups fail. Does that ever happen? Uh, yes. And then the curtain once comes in. Once a decade in. or something. Yeah. I was actually sitting at a show when the, the curtain came in. And when the audience was fantastic, I mean, that's what's great about live theater is the audiences are excited when something like that happens because it happens so rarely that you feel like you got a special thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the audience is usually with you when something goes wrong. There is something about, like you were saying, Zoom acting and stuff like that. Yeah. 
uh, we have a relative who was planning and putting up a play that he wrote with another guy. Mm-hmm. And then all of this happened and he was like, well, we're going to keep doing it. And they're doing, you know, 10 performances on Zoom and selling yeah. tickets and doing the whole thing. Yeah. And we watched uh, a, a, a test of it a few weeks ago, like a run through of the, of the of the script. And it like it, it works in the sense that you're hearing people performing. Yeah. But there's something different about being in the space with other people. Absolutely, there is. People have described the audience as, as the, it's called the fourth wall, but sure. they're also a character in the show. Yeah. And especially on Broadway, when, when you're doing the same show over and over again, the shows are completely different depending on the energy coming from the audience. Sure. Some jokes land, some jokes don't. It's, it's wildly different sometimes from night to night just based on the audience. And, and there's a joke in the industry about Wednesday afternoon performances are usually uh, the older people. Sure. Of, of, and they, they are not as responsive because they might be giggling like crazy, but you can't hear them. Yeah. And Friday night and Saturday night audiences are raucous, and it's usually well, a, they've had a drink beforehand. Exactly, it's usually a a more energized show because of it. Yeah. That doesn't happen. I don't feel that so much at the Met, though, because we do seven or eight performances of Carmen, not the same night, not not in a row. Yeah. Uh, but you see the audience that's out there, and it's it actually it's true. That's true. Like a Tuesday night audience is a little bit run down, a little bit like, oh my god, I gotta get to get up and go to work tomorrow. And a Saturday night audience is like, I am here for the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. there is a difference in the audience, and and it just is so important to have them in the house, and I, that's one reason why. We're probably not going to perform until there's a vaccine or some other medical That's, intervention. I, mean, I just think about it. I mean, you guys are this giant organization with this relatively huge budget for, yeah. for performing arts. And I just think about like the $10 million theater company. Yeah. You know what but I mean? They're able. Like well, you can't play sad. for you're, you can't play for a year. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of middle range theater, middle range budgetary budget yep. theaters that theater I think companies, are dance fail. companies, stuff that like just yeah. can't survive. Nope, it, it's going to be very interesting. But here's the thing, though, we're all starved for uh, for entertainment together. Yeah, there's plenty of entertainment options when you're sitting on your couch, but if you but we can't hang out in groups, and I miss that so much. It's true. So when we are able to do that, everyone's going to go out. You're going to say yes to everything, like you said exactly. earlier. I really believe that if you can make it until we can go out again, yeah, everyone's going to go out. You know, a few years ago, a few years ago, I re- it was one of those, you know, we never go see enough Broadway or whatever. Yeah. And for my birthday, Heather got me tickets to go see... I think it was, it was Waitress because I like oh, Sarah Bareilles. Yeah. And I was like, and she was in it at the time. Oh, So I was like, wonderful. oh, let's go see Sarah Bareilles in Waitress with Jason Mraz was playing with her. It was it was pretty good. They were cute. Yeah. Weird story, that. It's that a weird story. story. Not something it's way you darker would... than you think it's going to be. Yeah. There's like you be want it to be fun and light and, and like a rom-com and it ain't. It is for the first half. And then it's just like, what is going on? Anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, we went and saw that and we said, we should go see more stuff. And we went on a rampage. You There's know, a lot and, to see. Yeah. And, you know, we saw a network and we saw a Book of Mormon and we saw uh, uh, Oklahoma and we saw My Fair Lady oh, up awesome. by the Met. You know, like yep. we saw, you know, I don't know, like 10 or 12 things over the course of a year and a half. Yeah. About once a month we would get tickets and go see something. You know? That's wonderful. And it really, it, it's especially if you've lived in New York for as long as you have, 
it's strange after work going to see a show and then coming out and then getting on a subway and going home. And you're like, this is where I live, where yeah. all of this stuff happens. And I never take advantage of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the museums, the galleries, the... Oh, God, I would kill to go to the word. Met right now. Right? Well, you we know. can soon. They're opening. Oh, are they opening soon? Yeah. Ugh, I, I, I need that kind of stuff. I'm starved for just being stuck here. Yeah. That's you why know. I think, I, I really do think that if you can make it until we are able to open and the smaller theaters can produce one or two man person shows and, and social distance their audience. Unlike we, we can't, yeah. we can't do that. It's not fiscally responsible for us. I to, wonder even if like, if you guys were at half capacity, mm-hmm. I, it's like, would it even be worth doing? Cause it probably costs so much to put a show up. There's that, but there's also how, how do you get 75 members of an orchestra and how do you get, yeah. You know, singing opera people, yep. <laughs> projecting their very loud droplets. and their spit and their all the rest of it. Every over the over the audience, over the orchestra. Sure. You know how how do you keep those people safe? Yeah, you can't. That's the major problem. Yeah. Um, I'm, I've just had a conversation today with a small company in DC called Opera Lafayette. Uh, we're gonna they're going to do a show in Mancos, Colorado. We were supposed to do it in May. In April, we're supposed to do Mancos, Colorado in April, DC in in May, and then come to the Museo de Barrio here in New York. All of that, of course, got canceled. But they're still going to go ahead with the Mancos residency in September, October. They're going to do it outside, and everyone's okay, sure. going to sit six feet away, and there's no lighting, minimal scenery. They're just going to, you know, the singers are just going to do it, and they're going to quarantine together for two weeks, and you know, make sure that they're all healthy. They're going to get tested before they go. Then they're going to just hang out with themselves for two weeks while they rehearse it and then perform it. Yeah. And that's something that smaller companies can, can yeah. do. If, if it was up to you, would you, I mean, obviously you're in the opera game now, but mm-hmm. would you put on, would you like musicals or, or, or plays more? I like plays a little bit better. Do you see a uh, mockingbird? No, I did not. Okay. It's, it, the staging was interesting, and some of the lighting stuff they did. I mean, it's not, you know, groundbreaking, but it was, it was classy. Very interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's funny. Uh, you, are you a Star Wars fan at all? Big. Okay. Did you watch The Mandalorian? Yep. Do you know how they did that? Did you watch any of the behind the scenes? No. Oh, my God. You have no... Oh, my God. So... Ooh, I guess I have something to watch. You need to watch the behind the scenes. Okay. They had a... I don't know if it was 360 degrees. It might have been, actually. Where the walls and the ceiling were all LED panels. The backgrounds wow. of all, when they're out in the desert, yep. they're inside a room with just the outside of it just projected on the wall. That is super cool. And the whole thing, the camera and the screens are all wired into computers. Yep. So when you move the cameras, everything moves in parallax correctly. Whoa. So they were doing all of the special effects in camera within a virtual space. Same thing with like inside the room when they're in uh, like, um, in any of the buildings, like when they first like pick up the baby Yoda and all the yeah. rest of it, like all of those, the bars and everything, yeah. those aren't sets. They're all virtual sets that are built around them on screens. Oh, that's so cool. So the only, it's the reality of it is, uh, you know, 80 foot wide space or whatever it is. Right. The whole rest of it is just screens, but they have the lighting amounts such uh-huh. that basically they're lighting the screens and everything there's some ancillary lighting up top. Sure, like, there has to be some light to fill in a little bit. Yep. But they have it all tuned such in such a way that they're just filming, and it's all just already there. See, that's fascinating. I, I would, I would, 
take an internship part, there. The interesting <laughs> part about that is like the idea that that consumer gaming GPUs is yeah. basically what allows that to happen. Yeah, we could buy a bunch of you know Nvidia cards and stick them in a thing and have them do all kinds of calculations in real time. Yeah, you know, there's friends of mine that I worked with at Glimmerglass who are now doing digital lighting for um, Pixar. And uh, it's a sure. thing, you know, like the how yeah. the lighting works and that and that that probably that technology blossomed probably into what this is. This. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's got to be both satisfying and unsatisfying to me, because for me, I like some level of a tangible yeah. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is there ever part of you that goes, I just want to go up there and move some lights around? Absolutely. Sometimes it's just easier if I do it because I can't communicate to you what I am trying to say. Yeah. 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 But. I try to keep that to a minimum. And uh, one other thing. So consistency of timing of, say, a show. Yeah. If a thing's, I don't know, three hours and 20 minutes long. Yep. If Meister decides to conduct a little slower, it's three hours and three and 30 minutes long. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, there's no there's no sort of master clock that, like, is even running Mm-mm. the orchestra. No. there We, we have um, union minimums or union maximums, actually. If the show goes over four hours, they're in overtime. That's Carrie. That's a long show. It's a long show, but they get paid well, so it's okay. Uh, if they go past eleven p.m., I think they also get overtime. So we try, unless we start at eight and then it's over, it's past midnight. They we try real hard to keep it within a certain amount of time, but that t- amount of time is larger than you would expect. Yeah, yeah. It and it's very rare that things go that long. If unless they are scheduled to go that long, we do the ring cycle every I don't know six years or so, and those operas are, um, let's see, four hours and fifty minutes, and then one of them was five hours. Oh my! The God. longest opera I worked at the Met was six hours. Ugh. That was a Wagner. Yeah. How, how how many uh, intermissions do they do in something like that? Usually two, which adds an hour. Two hour chunks, yeah. Well, there are thirty I mean, minutes. Yeah, two hours, half an hour, two hours, half yes. an hour, two hours. Yep. It's a lot, but, you know, some people love it. Maybe they need to do it like uh, Harry Potter does it, where they break it into two two big chunks. Yeah. You can see it in two days if you want. Yeah. Some people do that, or they just don't do those operas. And that's that's why then we sell, because nobody does Tannhauser, and then you can come to see it at the Met. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Is there anything that I've completely forgotten about? Uh, It's hard to say. Um, You know, the one thing we haven't, really talked about is how a designer communicates their oh, design. Yeah. I um, figured there must be some sort of shorthand involved in everything. Well, we draft a lot. We use a computer-aided design to, to draft out... Uh, Render things, or is it 2D? Like, it could be either. Do some people say, I rendering. did this up in Maya, and here's the set that I want to do, or whatever it is? Yeah, absolutely. It's not usually Maya. It's usually SketchUp or... Um, 3D Studio Max. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. A friend of mine started 3D Studio Max Ooh. back in the 80s. Yeah. There's... A uh, there's a visualizer that we can we can program our lights. Uh, I, I am not I cannot think of any of the words right now, but we can and and have thought very seriously about having a, a studio where we got all the light cues in the light board based solely on uh, digital renderings. Oh, so go from the rendering straight into the light board and from the light board that- straight to the to the stage. Because now, even if it's rendered in 3D, you are manually taking those and translating it into what goes on the board? Yeah, and, and it's pretty darn close. Like, you can just 
tell the board that it's talking to a light and what it's actually talking to is a, a digital version of a light. Yeah. WYSIWYG was one of the first companies that, that started that, but there's a there's a different industry standard that I can't think of right now. And and you're just fooling the light board into thinking it's talking to an actual light and you get the and if if you do it correctly, you get the right position and it's set. And well, then, I mean if if you if you if you virtually create the space. Yes. I mean then yeah. you could you could hand like a here's the template for everything we have in our in yeah. our on our menu. Here go at it and come back to us when you're happy. Yeah, Blue Man Group does that consistently on their they'll they'll have the whole design team sit in a room and and get the show down and then they'll go into rehearsal with the Blue Men. I mean that makes perfect sense to me. Doesn't it? I mean a especially lot of the tours you, will do that too. The rock and roll tours will do that. If you have I mean if you have a situation where yeah, I mean, if you have a situation where it is, it is, uh, you you already know what the sets look like. You can even bring in virtual sets and have it all. Yes, yeah. you do. Yep, yep. With with actual textures on them, that is what you're going to be bouncing light off. of. And you can see on a screen what the quality of light's going to look like, ish. And yeah, yeah, close enough. Yeah, it's that's that, the way the future. Imagine doing lighting on a touring, like on a U two show or something. Yeah, yep. That's got to be such a pain in the neck because every single space is different. Yeah, that's that's the. I mean, that's why you travel with a rigger and you travel with a, a stage guy, and um, they get there first. <laughs> they get there first, and then you focus when you get there. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy. It's awesome. It's a great life. I mean, when you're young. Well, what are your hours like? Oh, they are awful. Uh, <laughs> depending on if it's your your bad week or not, because we show up at nine, which is delightful and very civilized. The electricians usually show up at eight. We show up at nine. Uh, we start on stage at at nine. Uh, we go on stage until two thirty. You get a two thirty three. You get a little break, some downtime. You have to do some paperwork, and then the focusing the evening show starts at uh, seven if it's a seven thirty curtain, or six o'clock if you have a, a particularly difficult or front of house heavy show. For a seven thirty curtain, and then the sh- opera goes until. So you're there from 11. nine a.m. till eleven p.m. or something. Yes, not every day though. If it's not my opera to watch, that's, that's, then I, is I that, go home How at do five. they break that up? Does it, like you have two there out are, of six or whatever? Or? Yep, it's it's that kind of idea. So my boss watches every single opening night because that's often we're still working on yep. the show. Then we have told the. So don't go team. see an opera opening night. Wait a few weeks. Oh no, everyone! But everyone's right there working on it, so it, yeah. it's actually kind of exciting. Um, every show two gets watched. Every second performance gets watched, and then if it's an older opera like our Bohem, we watch. Uh, we'll watch a one one show a week, uh, but Bohem is often on stage fourteen times over the course of the season, and by the fifth show, nobody needs any help from the design staff. Yep. And and so we'll let that go, and therefore we don't have to work every single night. Do you ever get a frantic phone call from the people running the board that night that something happened or some? You know? Yeah, we get that sometimes, but not very often. My boss will get it, and somebody's on call. Yeah, usually the the guys on stage are so good at dealing with things, and yeah. they have a hierarchy. They're on call. They're, all They're pros there. themselves. Yeah, they're pros themselves, so they'll just deal with it. That's yeah. that's usually fine. Every once in a while, there's something that goes down, like someone throws ashes into the. Uh, somebody threw somebody's ashes into the orchestra pit because they wanted their ashes to be spread at the Metropolitan Opera, but we didn't know what that was, so we had to shut the show down. They thought it could have been. security cleared the house because they didn't know what the white powder was. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. Who would do that? Uh, a very enthusiastic opera fan. Ugh. Um, so there were a lot of phone calls that night, but 
Um, but still, everyone at the opera house yeah. dealt with it. But it is a job that involves understanding from your significant other. <laughs> Very much so. Very yeah. much so. Uh, it is, and it's so long. Thirty-three weeks is a long time to be going like that, and I get pretty crabby. You, yeah. So in the so twenty-something weeks into it, you can't take a week off. It's oh, like you're yeah. working for the thirty. You can. You we we get time off. I mean, okay. it just depends. Like sometimes you have an easy week because none of the operas you've been working on are are on stage. Just at the, the moment. way the schedule. It's works. Just the way the schedule works. There are three of us who 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 take the the brunt of watching the operas and. Uh, Sometimes you're in between shows. Sometimes you've got all three of your shows happening at once because Bohem came back and the new opera that you're working on happens to be on stage right now and you, one of your other shows is on. So you can have some awful weeks. Um, but they try. We, my boss tries real hard to make sure that we're all civilized because February, February is a bad month. We start on stage in, in August and we go. We open at the end of September. It's cold. There's no light. But I mean, from September to February, you're actually we uh, we always have a big gala on New Year's Eve. Sure. So that's a big hump. Um, and then all of a sudden you hit February. Everyone's in a grumpy mood. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's cold. It's dark. Uh, February is a dark, dark time at the opera. People are really, really angry. Is attendance down in February? Yes, attendance is also down in February. We're actually thinking about taking a break in February. We're gonna do. We were going to do that in the 2021 season, uh, but not anymore. It's, uh, God, that's so, it's amazing. Okay. So now I know how to wrap this up. Okay. So the way that you were saying how you don't like to watch TV shows cause you're like yeah. worried about the characters when you're at work, do you think technically about stuff and you just see it as a bunch of people running around singing, but you're thinking about the lights? Yes. In fact, sometimes I don't even hear the orchestra. Really? Really. Cause I'm focused so hard on what I'm seeing and some, and because I'm listening to people in my, in my headset that I don't even hear the music. It's just a wash behind you. Yep. Yep. Uh, I often wish that, you know, Mimi never got typhoid in, in Bohem. <laughs> but then the opera wouldn't be, so yeah. I guess. Do you have a favorite opera? No, I don't. There's Do certain... you have a least favorite opera? Uh, I, if I never see another version of Romeo and Juliet again, I would be happy. Okay. In opera, dance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Theatrical. Do you like setting. the the Mozart stuff? The I do. It's light. Figaro it's funny. And Don Giovanni has a great fi finale. Don Giovanni is really difficult. Don Giovanni is one of the biggest problem operas. Really? Ever. Why? The guy has to descend into a fiery hell at the end of the show. How do you do that in a live theater? How do you? That do is it? one of the best grad school projects ever. Light the hell out of a pit that he falls into. Yeah, we. I mean, it, at the Met, we have traps that he goes down in, and we've got moving lights and actual pyro that that have to be and 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 some smoke to and smoke to give cover volumetric it all. light. Yep, and and there's always a blackout, you know, so you don't see the traps coming back up. That kind of stuff. That yeah. is a problem opera. Yeah, there's an interesting thing you can do in theaters, like. Because you have smoke as an option, mm -hmm. light can have volume yes. in a way that in a lot of ways it wouldn't it normally. It wouldn't somewhere else. The Met usually used to have all these series of steam curtains Yeah, because New York City ran on steam. So we had, you know, the, the theater has a steam pipe like most of New York City used to. And we would just run steam. That's what you'd use? Through the through a pipe. Way downstage there was a... There was a one like three inch section of the stage that was just a grate with with holes in it, and you would run the steam through the holes, and it would come up as fog. Now, would you would would is it like is it 
That's not what we do anymore. I know, but is it standard to have like a little fog just to give a little atmosphere to the light? It is in other aspects of performance art. The singers have trouble uh, acclimating themselves With to the poly a stuff foggy that's in stuff, yeah. environment. They technology has come a long, long way. There's some fog out there that is is made so that it does not. Um, the old stuff was just plasticky, gross. It was gross stuff, yeah. Usually glycol, so yeah. it, it was um, oil-based, and yep. it really would coat your throat. Uh, now um, there is better stuff, but still it, it, it tweaks a singer to see that stuff in the air, so we try not to, but it makes light look so yeah, good. Yeah, but all those operas, opera singers, they're all divas anyway. They are definitely pampered. <laughs> I've interviewed friends of mine who are opera singers yeah. for this podcast, so it's... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, but they have a hard job. You know, they they live and die no, by their vocal cords. So that's a let's real try not to coat job. their vocal cords with something gross. But God. it makes light look so good. Uh, so. Thank you for coming all the way over here and doing this. You're very welcome. It's a lovely We finally got you over here to do this. Yay! Thank you it so only much. took a global pandemic to sit you down in front of a microphone to talk about your <laughs> I work. just needed, you know, at least eight weeks to chill out and then eight weeks to be bored. Did you actually just sit there and and, and was it was the yeah. first eight weeks like, uh, and then the next eight weeks like, oh, God, I got to do something? Well, so I was in Paris when... Uh, Trump shut down all travel from Europe. Oh, shoot. I didn't know that. Yeah. I was working on a, a, sh- a revival of a show over there. And that uh, was a very exciting and wonderful experience. But getting back was so traumatic. I, What'd you have to do? Uh, I was on hold with Delta f- two different days for six hours each. Just sitting around at Charles de Gaulle? Or no, as they say, no, I was Gaulle. calling them. Oh, on phone calls. Okay. On phone calls and, and, uh, and, you know, checking up on the internet and stuff. And I, I, had a plan B, like, you know, Paris wasn't as bad as Italy, as Milan at the time. So I wasn't as bad off as our singers and maestro who had to go back to Italy. And I thought, you know what? I have a flight out. It's just not anytime soon. And I will just stay here and hunker down and learn French. It'll be fine. Yeah. Worst case scenario, I eat croissant and I, right? and I go and I, I walk around Paris. Exactly. It was just not such a bad. I get an Airbnb. Deal. I get an apartment. It, 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 my parents were in Portugal at the time. I would have figured out a way to get over to them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was still a little traumatic because you find out that you just want to be home, even though Paris is really not a bad place to hunker down. Yeah. And you think, no, this is something is going real wrong with the world. I want to be home. Yeah. So after that experience, it took me two weeks, um, of CDC mandated or CDC wasn't mandating it at the time. They highly suggested you stay home in quarantine for two weeks after travel. Yep. Um, so that two weeks was wonderful because I just. You weren't allowed to leave. I went, yeah, I, I just kind of went blank. Well, my mother's still, my mother's stuck in Thailand right now. So she's still there. <clears throat> yeah. She, they got there in January. She was supposed to be coming back in May. Yeah. But then by April, it was like, there are nope. going to be no flights and there still are no flights. Yep. Um, she, they're, they're probably better off, though. Well, yeah. But, like, at a certain point, you want to be home, You just right? want to be home. Yeah, <laughs> So I they're am, yeah. in this apartment in Phuket and just sort of, like, stuck there. Oof. And um, and they can't really go do all that much because the beaches are quasi-closed. and It's not like they can be tourists. Restaurants aren't open. Yeah, they're just so living like, their best and life And they've been there Thailand. for months anyway, and they've been going there each year for months. So they're, like, well, we're here kind of done with it. And friends of theirs uh, got out a couple weeks ago through Doha. Mm-hmm. And but uh, they had to wear N95 mask, face shield, and gloves the entire time on the plane. That's a long flight. Could for you that. imagine being on twelve hour, two twelve hour flights, wearing rubber gloves and an N95 and a no. face shield? That's a lot. I'd rather stay there for another month. Yep, that's like 
yep. you know, claustrophobia hell. There's great. There's a whole podcast a series, I think, about people stuck in hotels all over and the such, world. all over the world. There's a great article in the Times about it. My mother should start a podcast. That's what she, she should. should. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> all right. Well, let's wait for Chris and we'll uh, have some food in a little bit. Thanks. Thank you so much. Bye.